0: Visit MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 103 of the DeFacto Leaders podcast. In this episode, I have special guest, Dr. Teresa Malito-Connors, otherwise known as Dr. MC. Dr. MC is the founder of Dr. MC's self-care cabaret, a suite of... Theater inspired self care and professional development services for helping professionals. The Self Care Cabaret encompasses workshops, a podcast, and an educational curricula focused on accessible, realistic strategies that equip and empower. Dr. M.C. first recognized the need for such strategies as a special education administrator. She realized individuals in people-first, service-oriented roles often struggle with prioritizing self-care and work-life balance and lack of resources. Dr. M.C. pursued her PhD in educational leadership from Lesley University, honing in on self-care and renewal for helping professionals. In addition to her doctorate and published research, she's a licensed k-12 counselor with a master's of education in school counseling from salem state university and a bachelor's of arts in theater studies from emerson college her true joy is bringing her scholarship experience and zest to audiences of all kinds nationwide i know that we've all sat in some really boring professional development and i wanted to bring dr mc on because With her theater background, she really brings a unique experience to professional development in a much needed area that's not talked about a lot in many school professional development trainings. So in this conversation, we really get into how school leaders can bring self-care into the culture of the school and really why a lot of people whether it is therapists school leaders teachers don't pay attention to self-care for themselves they focus more on taking care of other people and obviously as we talk about today that's really hard to do if you're not taking care of yourself interestingly enough this goes hand in hand with some of the strategies that i teach in the school of clinical leadership in the school of clinical leadership I give K-12 clinicians a framework for being better leaders. Specifically, I give them the tools that they need to take on a leadership role in getting executive functioning supports into their school culture and their school curriculum so that students can get the support that they need across the day. But, as you may know, when you're thinking about any specific clinical area or strategy, whether it's implemented in a classroom, whether it's implemented in the home, or whether it's implemented in a direct therapy setting, you need to make sure that you have the systems in place so that, logistically, you can actually deliver the services that need to happen. If that's not in place, it makes it really hard for us to do our jobs. And the thing is, when it comes to guiding teams to change their practices, people who aren't in official leadership positions, so people like the speech pathologist, the social worker, the counselor, the special ed teacher, the school psychologist, so really anybody who's involved with direct service delivery for kids, can take initiative and start working towards getting their team on board. And the way that we do that is that we have to have the right systems in place so that we know how to collaborate with the right people. We know how to block out time to do those important activities that may involve planning and training others, as well as figuring out what we need to do in our direct services as well. So this can be a logistical nightmare if you don't have the right systems in place. And having the right systems in place are key to also making sure that you can do all of these things for your caseload and also taking care of yourself at the same time so that's why i focus heavily on building the right systems in the school of clinical leadership so that you can get the supports for your caseload in place without burning yourself out so to learn more about how to become a member of the school of clinical leadership you're going to want to go to drkaren dudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership again that's clinical leadership. So now let's get to the interview with Dr. M.C., where she is going to share a little bit about what she does at Dr. M.C.'s Self-Care Cabaret. All right, today I am joined by Dr. Teresa Melito-Connors, the CEO and founder of Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret and Special Ed Administrator from Boston. So thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dr. Karen. I'm excited to chat.
0: So uh, as we were just talking, as we're kind of getting to know each other, I was just saying how when you reached out to me about being on the show that it was just so unique that I had to say yes. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, like what you've done so far in your professional career and how that led to what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, so thank you. I'm glad that you found it. Uh, intriguing I also think it's it's rather unique so I actually have a really strong performing arts background I've been dancing since I was uh, about three years old classically trained in ballet when I got a little bit older I got into musical theater my undergraduate degree is from Emerson College in Boston Massachusetts which has a pretty uh, well-established renowned theater program and I was ready to you know head to Broadway head to New York and do all that and I always had a had in the back of my mind, though, that I belonged in education and there were kind of signs along the way, but I wasn't really willing to listen to them just yet. Yeah. So I did, um, you know, I did the back and forth to New York thing for a bit. I did a lot of stuff in the Boston area. I've choreographed a lot of productions. I've done professional film work for Hollywood feature films. And, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't really filling the need. So while I was kind of doing some of that, I found myself working um, back at the high school, actually, that I in the community that I grew up in. And I was essentially a secretary role, but I just loved being around the high school students. And I found a lot of what my role was doing was actually that of a guidance counselor, even though that really wasn't uh, what I was being paid for. Right. So I decided, you know what, maybe it's time to do the master's. In school counseling. So off I went to a master's degree program in school counseling and was hired pretty quickly at a therapeutic high school here in Massachusetts. And again, I, I loved it. And I thought that it was really, um, you know, I was working with a incredibly challenging population, kids with early onset psychosis, eating disorders um, suicide ideation and gesture, really significant social, emotional challenges, et cetera. And I did really love the work, but what I found during that time period, when I was in that, um, school was that I wasn't able to separate myself from the work. I was really on a fast track to burnout. Mm-hmm. And at the time I thought that that was something special to me <laughs> that only I was experiencing. Yeah. Burnout, and that it wasn't like a major issue in education. Period. So, you know, I went to my program director at the time, and I said, you know, I'm really, I'm just having a hard time. Like, I'm, I'm finding myself, you know, it's impacting my sleep. I'm not, I'm worrying about my students. Like, what do I do? And she said, you need to learn to not take it home with you. And I didn't know what that meant, Mm -hmm. and she didn't give me any further instruction or guidance, and kind of sent me off on my own. So that actually opened up my journey to start exploring self-care and that's when I really started to dive into the work of Dr. Deepak Chopra, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Cheryl Richardson and all these uh, self-care experts that have come before me That have definitely paved the way and I realized also that this was not something special to me. Yeah that this was really an issue that a lot of people in education experience. So now in my mind, it was time to earn a doctorate and let's study this at that level. So I attended um, a PhD program here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I wanted to study right from day one. I knew I wanted to study self-care and renewal for leaders and teachers. And what would that really mean if leaders took this seriously and not only practiced it, but also promoted it for their students, and what, for their, excuse me, for their staff, which would in turn impact the students, and what would that really mean for school culture, and school climate, and just overall well-being of educators, because we're in a bit of a crisis right now, that was brewing, you know, even before COVID, and COVID has certainly made it worse, but, you know, those were kind of the questions going through my mind, so that's a little bit about me and how we got here but then through that doctoral work and research I decided this is I need to share this out this is more than just a dissertation let's start a Facebook page we'll call it Dr. MC's self-care cabaret and I love the name because it plays off of my theater love and my experience but also self-care so what started out as a little Facebook page has and maybe a volunteer conference presentation here and there has now, um, is growing pretty rapidly. I have a podcast. I regularly present to schools, businesses, and organizations on topics related to self-care and I just, I love helping people take better care of themselves.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's what, what's really unique about your situation is that I know people who will, they'll get into to self-care and they'll be a coach, which I think there are probably some really good coach trainings out there, but you have a doctorate, like you're really an expert. And so that's (laughs) really, you know, I mean, that's really unique because, um, and again, like I said, there's a lot of different ways that you can get credentials and training. If you want to expand what you already have, you know, expand on your, your counseling license and other things like that. But yeah, that's, that is really interesting. So what, did you actually study in your dissertation research? Like what was what was the study about? Yeah, so
1: the, the degree is actually a PhD in educational leadership, but my okay. major scholarship was self-care and renewal. So the dissertation title has like one of those like super long, very academic titles. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is, but yeah. it's the perceptions of private special education school leaders regarding their role in promoting self-care and renewal practices For themselves and their teachers. So at the time when I was doing the study, I was actually working for a trade association here in Massachusetts that supports all the private special education schools. And so that was, uh, those were going to be my study participants and they were willing and eager to be a part of it and share their information. So I surveyed them, I interviewed several of them um, to kind of come up with the data for the dissertation study.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what, what did you find throughout that process that surprised you? Yeah. the fact that you're not the only person struggling with this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew that before, but um, yeah, for sure. The findings were really interesting. I think a couple that stood out to me, I think there were three that really stand out to me the most. The first was that school leaders felt that self-care and renewal practices were more important for their teachers than for themselves like on the responses it was all like about yeah this is this is super important yep they're very important hi but you fives or whatever and then it was like oh yeah but no not for me less important for me so that was interesting to me I don't know if and that's certainly not the message that I like to right give to people like you have to take care of yourself as a leader and you also promote it for others it's not something other people need and you you don't that's that's not it so I thought that was interesting another one was that people really don't tend to start paying attention to their self-care until later in life when either they just are feeling the impacts of aging or they're faced with a health consequence or a health scare Mm -hmm. of some sort and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and they're like "Uh uh-oh I better start taking care of myself so part of my work I like to get younger generations to really pay attention to this stuff because it's not something that should wait until you're in a crisis situation to start paying attention to
0: yeah it's you know i mean just from a motivation standpoint it's easy to just put it off when you're young and you can just power through and I mean, there's so many different examples of that. That's really interesting that the administrators thought it was important for the teachers and not, or or the staff and not them. I wonder if that is common in other situations where there's a person who is responsible for the care of others. So for example, the, you know, again, the leadership thinks that it's important for their staff, but not for them. Mm -hmm. The, The staff think it's important for, Their students, but not for them. Absolutely. It's important for their kids, but not for them. Like, and all of these other things, you always think about the person you're taking care of and not thinking about what about me? How am I supposed to take care of somebody else if I'm not in a good place?
1: Right. Because self-care, you know, society makes us feel that it's selfish that's the messaging that yeah. you can't, you know, it's selfish to take your paid time off. It's selfish to put your needs first. Who does that? Like, but that's, it's a really twisted view of what it is. And people don't understand that self-care is other care. It allows you to be able to show up better for your students, for your staff, for your children, for who, who everyone.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's just, Do you think it's just that people don't understand what it actually is? Like it's being presented in a way like you're, you're overindulging, you're, you're drinking all this wine and taking a bubble bath and all this stuff. And like, it's like, people are kind of overdoing it and making it seem like it's something that it's not. Do you think that that happens?
1: Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what is self-care And there's a lot of marketing around self-care. It's big business now. There's corporations and, and, you know, all kinds of uh, things preying on your vulnerability to try and sell you things and and make like, but that's not it. And then you have those, you know, kind of stereotypical depictions of self-care that it's really expensive and luxurious. And it has to be these all day spa events or mani pedis and like that's not not really what we're talking about when we get to the true meaning of self-care.
0: It's interesting that you so those examples and I mean obviously anybody can do whatever they want um, and so I don't want a gender stereotype here but a lot of those things traditionally have been thought of more as female things you know to put in air quotes and I just wonder if that actually again, like makes it less acceptable to if you are more masculine to, Mm. you know, like if that, if it's like, oh, it's okay for these people, but not these people over here and people in leadership positions tend to be the more, you know, ambitious driver where it's almost like not congruent with the qualities that you think you're supposed to have. You know? Yeah.
1: I think that definitely plays a factor. And even now, like if I look at you know, the demographics of those that follow me or or book me for presentations. Like it's predominantly women. Yeah. Um, you know, there are definitely, I definitely have male followers. I definitely think self-care is important for males also. It's important yeah. for everyone, but it does tend to um, be a more woman heavy, um, you know, things more appealing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when you, when you define what it is, that maybe it makes it more, I don't want to say appealing, but, um, but yeah, maybe appealing. So, I mean, how would you actually define self-care? How should it look? So I think it's
1: those stereotypical things that, that appear to be more feminine, maybe. Right. Yeah. When we get, so the, so the real definition, in my opinion, you know, is not mani pedis and bubble baths. It's really foundational practices that you do every day. So you show up as the best you possible. They don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be time consuming. As a matter of fact, they can be quick, quick and free, which I mean, doesn't get yeah. better than that. <laughs> but it's also it's proactive. Like you want to be doing it in a way where it's not you're not in crisis mode. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, now I got to take a yoga class like that's not it. You don't want to get to that point. The hope is that you engage in these practices, you build up your resilience, you manage your stress in healthy, productive ways, so that when those situations arise, you're able to better react to them. Because, like stress isn't going to go away. We're still going to have stress. But the way you react can really change by how you're taking care of yourself.
0: Yeah. I think that sometimes those stereotypical things can almost be counterproductive. Again, going back to the wine thing, that seems to be a trendy thing that's promoted in self-care where it's actually, I mean, alcohol is literally poison. You know, yep. it's the opposite yes. of self-care. Yep. Not that I'm, you know, shaming people for drinking wine. Sometimes I like to drink wine. But if you really think about it, it's more about being proactive and thinking about what your future self wants, not what you're, you know, what you want in the moment. And so I think that some of those things are the opposite. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's definitely an, an, an unhealthy, um, soothing strategy.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. So what right. is the process? Oh, go ahead.
1: Sorry. No, uh, go ahead. I think I was going to start to jump into what you're going to ask.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what's the framework that you use for helping people or that you that you present to people when you're when you're, you know, coaching or presenting people? <laughs> yeah, so I
1: like to, to look at things from the 10 domains of self-care, which actually comes from Dr. Catherine C- Cotton's research. And the 10 domains of self-care is really, I think, a pretty comprehensive framework. And I can tell you what the domains are, but I really, it helps people kind of conceptualize that, yeah, we're not talking about mani petties here. And so we yeah. look at, when we look at the 10 domains, we look at nutrition and hydration. So how you feed your body how you hydrate and ways to do that and honor your hunger and your fullness. Then we look at exercise. So you have to move your body and what does that look like? And promoting though that it can and should be joyful Movement should be joyful. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be punishment or extreme. I also, in in the interest of full disclosure, I'm in recovery for disordered eating and exercise bulimia. So when I get into the nutrition, hydration, and exercise domains, I really lean heavily on a health at every size perspective and into the research on intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So that kind of plays into those as well. Then we get into looking at Soothing strategies. How do you soothe yourself? Is it is it wine or is it do you have some maybe some deep breathing practices you engage in? Mm-hmm. Then we look at mindfulness and self-awareness. Then we look at rest and relationships, the physical medical domain, the um, environmental domain, self-compassion. And the last one is spiritual. And the spiritual domain is really, teachers do great in that domain because we see how important the work is that we do. And we know why we show up every day for our students. So that that domain tends to be really strong among educators and folks working with kids.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like how it's kind of laid out into specific areas. I think that having that framework can be really helpful in figuring out what to actually do. So it's not just this generic thing and you're just randomly throwing things out there. It's, it's, you know, okay, how are we going to think about all areas comprehensively?
1: Right. And the thing is too, like, and I always say this in my workshops, like I do not try to do all 10 domains, like tomorrow, you can't like go from zero to 60. But then the, and this is a piece too, that I think sometimes people don't understand, like, even if you just take one domain, or even just one new coping mechanism, maybe it's deep breathing and, or you work on your sleep or you work on your hydration, like any little bit that you do will have a really big impact. So it doesn't have to be time consuming. It doesn't have to be, it can be free. And most of this is, I mean, deep breathing is one of the most wildly underutilized coping mechanisms and it's free and you can do it
0: literally anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting when you start with one thing, sometimes it can lead to another thing and there's kind of this snowball and vice versa. Whereas mm. it's like, okay, you can go. I was listening to this podcast and this guy was talking about how when he goes to conferences, you know, some people are like, "Let's go to happy hour." And he's like, "I don't go because I know that I'm going to go there and I'm going to have a drink and I'm then I'm going to want another drink and then I'm going to, you know, drink too much and stay up too late." And then I'm not going to sleep and then I'm going right. to sleep in the next day. And then I'm going to be behind in my work and it's going to be three o'clock and I haven't started on anything. And I'm going to think, why do I even get started on my work? Because I, it's already three o'clock. And then my whole weekend is derailed because of having one drink and just knowing that, yeah. knowing that it's like, okay, if I am going to pay attention to my nutrition and hydration domain and say, you know, I'm not going to have a drink or I'm going to go to my room early and get in bed early. it just impacts your whole day and can or you know vice versa if you're gonna say something like I'm gonna get in bed by nine o'clock tonight and then you get up early and then you have all this stuff done, it's just it's like, you know, the one decision that leads to the other decisions, but you're right. only really committing to the one thing.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, but it's That's- really and it it's powerful stuff. Like and if you I think too, you know, once people start to feel a little bit better and feel a little success in one domain, then it's like, yeah, all right. What, ha- what would happen if I went to bed at eight 30 or like what if we really push the envelope and and um you know we're really work on the sleep most I I find that people when I give like there's assessments that we do sometimes in the workshops and whatnot and sometimes folks are just really hard on themselves because they're horrified that they score like low across mm, the board yeah, it's like that's point. okay like that's just showing you that you have room to grow and it's not to make anybody feel bad, but to remember that, you know, one new habit starts small, wherever it at, Maybe you're going to walk for five minutes a day or get outside for five minutes or have a five minute dance party, get some joyful movement in whatever it is. It doesn't have to be this epic thing, but you'll feel better pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. Do you have to get people in with micro commitments like that where it's, okay, just do this one thing and then regroup. I mean, do people sometimes get overwhelmed with this and think that they can't do it?
1: Absolutely. And I usually will tell people to take it like a week at a time. Like, let's say I'm doing a, maybe a five-week series. And mm-hmm. so at the end of, end of week one, I'll be like, okay, because I love myself and others, I will practice self-care this week by, what are we gonna do? Tell me. And then make people come up with kind of their plan. But I also mm-hmm. make them, Make it reasonable. Like, don't tell me you're going to exercise every single day. If you haven't been exercising, that's not realistic that you're just yeah. going to turn it around and sustain it. But maybe you can commit to, you know, 10 minutes, one day, something small and tangible and then kind of build it from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the habits are, I know that for, for myself, whenever I say that I'm going to be doing something and I go too gung ho, then I'll do it for a week, and then I'll stop. And then it wasn't very productive. And then I think sometimes people get into this thinking of um, thinking that things don't work when they really do, because they went too, you know, they they got too ambitious with it, or they did too much, and it wasn't sustainable. And then they quit before it really had time to work for them. And then that whole thing. (laughs) And
1: then I think people feel too, like if it's not, you know, epic, and long, and, time consuming and expensive. Like, is it going to work? How can it work? Like, how can something so simple (laughs) work? And um, yeah. So like one of my favorite examples to share, and this happened on my podcast, someone was sharing that every morning before they jump out of bed and go on with their day, they just take one minute, one minute meditation where they just breathe kind of lie there in bed and just give themselves that 60 seconds before diving into their day and that that just really centers their day it grounds them it gets them in their body and they can go about their day successfully and that's so simple but yet i feel like when i tell people that sometimes they're like you know raise their eyebrow like how could that work it's like just just try it trust me
0: (laughs) i definitely have had that thought before (laughs) yeah no it's just like that (laughs) Yeah, it just it's it's think? like it's like you think it needs to be hard for right. it to work,
1: and no, some things make things hard. It Doesn't have to be hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I bet people who are in leadership roles who who do identify as ambitious probably have that tendency to make things hard because they think like I'm a you know I'm tough or I'm resilient and I'm going to do this thing, and you know I mean obviously resilience is. Really important, but I think you can be gentler with yourself about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break here. So I know that you're probably starting to notice that one of the reasons that self care doesn't happen in helping professions is because people don't think they have enough time. And the truth is that typically, It's not about having enough time. It's about having the right systems. So that's why in the School of Clinical Leadership, I show you how to put the right systems in place so that you can do everything that you need for your caseload without burning out. Specifically, the program is focused on getting executive functioning supports worked in to your student's day. And if you are involved in K-12 at all, you know that this really needs to be kind of a tier one initiative at the building or the district level. So that can be no small task, which means it's really important for you to have the right processes in place so you can collaborate with the people that you need, get the support that you need so that you can work together as a team to make sure that kids get what they need across their day. And I help you actually do this by implementing what I refer to as the master plan. And the great thing about the master plan is that you can think about everything that you need to do throughout the course of your year to make sure that you get your initiatives that you want push forward so if you want to change something that's going on in your building or in your community this is the key to making it happen and the great part about it is that you can work your self-care routine into this master plan it's designed to help you plan your whole life not just your work and this is exactly what i show you how to do in the school of clinical leadership so to learn more about how to become a member, you're going to want to go to com backslash clinical leadership. So now let's get back to the conversation with Dr. MC.
1: And one of the things too, when we talk about like leaders and teachers and staff and whatnot, one of the things that emerged from the dissertation that wasn't necessarily a finding, but I wanted to share was that there was some awkwardness around, leaders feeling like they didn't know how to promote it for their staff Mm, they didn't know how to like I had one um study participant was like well what am I supposed to do ask them if they like slept good (laughs) I was like yeah well um, you could start there, maybe be less awkward about it, but you could add, like, maybe start, maybe do a PD around the importance of rest or, uh, you know, something. But yeah, start having these conversations with people, share the things you're doing, try to give them, you know, time when you can and empathy when you can and make it part of the culture that it celebrates self care and educator well being.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things that, I mean, what's, what are the top complaints that you get around this when you're, when you're training people just surrounding self-care that they're struggling with? What do they think their problem is? They don't have time. Mm, time. Hmm. That's, I get that one too. Yeah.
1: And I think that that's just an easy cop-out. There's time if you make it a priority yeah you can find time. We're talking about things that take a minute or two that will actually make you better on the other side. So there's isn't there a quote I, I don't I'm blanking on who said it, but it's something like it's about meditation. It's like if you feel like you don't have you know 10 minutes to meditate, then you should meditate for forty five something yeah. along those lines <laughs> like you know that means you need actually more of it. so, <laughs> so I, you know, making sure that people understand that these are quick three things that you can access and embed them into your day so it's not it doesn't become like a oh now I do my self-care that it just becomes part of who you are and how you show up you have strong boundaries and you have coping strategies and you access them when you can and when you need to all the time so that you're managing yourself so you don't get into crisis mode
0: yeah. The, um, someone told me one time with the meditation thing that it's, I mean, you can do it while you're walking. You can do a walking meditation while you're walking back to your office, or yeah. you can just do it while you're sitting there instead of scrolling your email that you already looked at 50 yeah. times or whatever. Yeah.
1: You do it lying down in bed, yeah. right? You wake up in the morning before you go to bed, sitting in a chair. Like that's a lot of things too. Like we, we have these stereotypes of like what perfection looks like. And, you know, when we think about meditation, well you probably picture someone on the floor in the cross-legged pose, you know, for hours on end or whatever. Well, that's not how it has to be. You can absolutely do a walking meditation. Just pay attention to your surroundings and be in the present moment. So when they, people think that they
0: don't have time to do self-care or meditation or whatever, whatever their strategies are when, as you're working with your staff, cause you're a school administrator now still, I know. So they think their problem is no time, but what do you see as their actual problem, whether it be the staff or the leaders themselves? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. I think think it goes back to culture of the school
0: yeah
1: i mean education in general is very fast-paced there's a lot of expectations on all school staff they are strapped for time and resources and energy and they're always being asked to do more and more and so it's really hard to push back on that and to protect your own boundaries. So I think it really comes, I think it comes from leadership having to, you know, cultivate a space that makes it okay for staff to take a break and for them to, you know, to see that. Like I, my staff sees me, like for example, last week we had a really difficult meeting and I needed to step outside for a minute and just, take some deep breaths. I needed some fresh air. I just had to like, take a minute. My staff saw me do that. One of my um, staff actually came with me and like stood outside with me. She was running to the mailbox or doing something else. And she kind of just stood there with me. And I was like, I just need a minute. So being able to be vulnerable and model that for staff, I think is important. And that was really kind of my whole hope with the dissertation study that I would find that when you do those types of things and when you model it and promote it, and it becomes part of the culture that it will be easier for everyone. Then it just becomes part of what you do.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the habits and the, the systems, I mean, I, a lot of people who are very ambitious are all about, you know, building the good habits. So it could easily just be worked into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And a lot of it comes down to boundaries. Like there's a lot of boundary yeah. in education for sure. And you have to really be clear with your boundaries and strong. And I actually had somebody recently, a fellow administrator, we were talking and someone else was going to reach out to me and they were like, Oh, Oh, just tell Teresa. I'll talk to her on Sunday. And the other administrator was like, I'm not telling her that she works really hard on her boundaries and I'm not telling her that like she was and I was just like so I was like so flattered but like a second I was like oh she could have reached out on Sunday and then I was like no no she can't because Sunday like that's my time I'm not working on Sunday I'm not what I mean so but to actually that's taken a lot of work to get people to recognize and honor that that's a boundary and that's my boundary and I'm not breaking it
0: yeah Yeah, that is, I think you can kind of almost train other people what they can expect from you Mm -hmm. Yeah, or responding to emails too is another one. I know that it's so random where, you know, where it's somebody sends you an email and then five minutes later, they're like in your office. Did you get my email? It's like, yes.
1: (laughs) It's three seconds ago. Relax. (laughs) I know. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually had a teacher, one of my teachers, um, who's on my staff told me the other day she i just noticed that she does a lot of schedule send in her gmail which i didn't say anything but she felt compelled to tell me why and she said she likes the schedule send emails to go after school so then parents don't think she's available during the school day because she's really not she's busy she's seeing kids she's a special ed teacher like all this stuff but i just thought that was really like a nice little boundary that she set for herself so to not give the impression to parents that they can bother her all day long because they will you teach people how to treat you right so if, if they think you're available all the time And that's what they're going to expect. So uh, yeah, trying hard not to respond to emails on off hours, not check
0: it all hours of the day, (laughs) night and weekend. It's hard. Yeah. Well, and you know, honestly, when I think about it from my end, when I think about it where it's like, okay, if I'm going to reach out to somebody and I know that they take, you know, like they don't respond on weekends or I know they don't respond between this and this hour or, or whatever it is. And I just know what to expect, even if I have to wait longer, but it's consistent and I know then I'm fine with it. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, oh, I emailed them on Friday night. I don't expect a response until Monday morning. And I'm fine with that. A lot of times people, it's more of a people pleasing thing. Like what's going to happen if I don't respond right away and really they'll be fine with it. They just want to know it's where it's inconsistent, where it gets a little bit confusing because if you're, if they're used to getting your emails, you know, five minutes later, and then all of a sudden you wait, you know, a couple hours then they're what's going on. But if you're right. if used to it, then it's fine. And everybody's, everybody knows what's going on. <laughs> it's yeah, very calming absolutely. for all parties involved. <laughs> so with the whole scheduling thing, and just thinking about how to communicate just as a team, I'm curious how you train you model for your staff when you know you've got to collaborate as a team, when you've got to um set up, you know, IEP meetings for kids who have, you know, need to get this whole team of people together and they're all busy and you've got consultants coming from all I don't know if it's if it's like that in your district, but how do you handle having boundaries, but also being flexible when you have those unique situations that do, you know, require some flexibility. How do you balance that?
1: Sure. I think it's for me anyway, it's a constant negotiation of what's the priority. Yeah. It's always, you know, what, like everything has to get done at some point, Mm -hmm. but not everything is an emergency. Not everything is the top three priority. So I'm very organized with, you know, writing things down and notes and, you know, we have a lot of timelines, as you know, in special education that you're bound, yeah. to, so you have to stay within that, of course, but making sure that you are just prioritizing your tasks as best you can and really, you know, which fires you put out first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are the ones that are the priority and some things then end up waiting, but under also understanding that you cannot do everything every single day. And some things will wait and they'll still be there tomorrow or the next day. And that's okay. And being okay with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've had some, I always appreciate when I was in, when I was in the schools, I always appreciated administrators that would have that culture of backing me up, with those boundaries with things like meetings with with things like you know how how parents treat staff i had a principal who so the scenario was this teacher was actually being bullied by a parent i can't remember what the scenario was but something was going on in the classroom the teacher was handling it totally appropriately and the the parent was kind of like i don't know micromanaging a little bit and so they had this meeting with the principal and it was the principal, the teacher and the. um, Yeah, the parent and the parents like bossing around and she just looked at this parent was like, you do not talk to my staff like that. Right. And the parent was like, oh, OK. And she said she's like, by the end of the meeting, they were happy. They shook my hand and we were all good. It's like, you know, some people almost need you to be like, this is this is what we do around here. <laughs>
1: No, absolutely. And I think, you know, they need to know that leadership has their back.
0: Yeah. I yeah, I I had a great principal that I worked. Well, I mean, all the principals that I worked with were were really good about that, but I always appreciated that and, and especially with IEP meetings. Um, I knew some teachers who just had a really hard time setting boundaries with parents, because the parent would be, it was like they were just bending over backwards with the meeting time. And there's this whole team of people that needs to get together. Instead of being like, this is the day I'll tell you in advance. This is the day that we have to do it. These are the hours that we can do it based on our contract. We can't do it at six o'clock at night and get 20 people together. You know, like that's not (laughs) how it works. It's just so interesting. And I used to say, like, if you go to the doctor, you don't expect the doctor to meet with you at seven o'clock at night,
1: right. you know,
0: like that's what you think about doctors, but people sometimes don't think about that with teachers. It's like, yeah, like you, you expect the teacher to meet with you after school. And that's just because part of that is a cultural society thing, but you can, right. you can set that culture with your, in your building, that this right. is what we do in this district. And people do listen when they know what to expect.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And I've definitely gotten those requests too. It's like, why can't we meet at that time? Well, I'm sorry. No one's available. Like, No, yeah. no one's working. School's closed.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, you have the, the contract hours. And I mean, you know, again, like I found that when you communicate in advance and you tell people what's going on, that usually it's usually it's okay. I mean, yes, there's extreme situations where people are, you know, <laughs> have issues with with accepting other people's boundaries but sure. in most cases it's the people can be reasonable. <laughs> so I want to go back to the cabaret concept. So how does that actually work? Because that was one of the things that I was like, "Ooh, this is really interesting." <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, as I said, the title kind of came out of just a a fun way of incorporating my love of theater, my theater experience and my expertise in self-care. And But so everything I do, I guess how I show up in the world is very theater like. I mean, I know folks can't see me right now, but there's uh, there's a lot of glitter around me. There's some some sparkle and whatnot. It kind of feels like I'm on stage. And when I when I present, it's I consider it like a performance. And so that kind of everything is kind of theater inspired and kind of plays into the unique experiences. I think that I bring to the table that I've mentioned some of it, like my struggles with overcoming or uh, being in recovery for an eating disorder, overcoming, um, some challenging childhood traumatic experiences and different things that I kind of bring together all becomes kind of the cabaret, the show as it were. And, um, it's just me. It's just how, how I am. So
0: is it an actual cabaret like is or is is it like a performance or is it just kind of that's just sort of the vibe (laughs) That's just sort of the vibe and I think
1: it's you know when I present um, I'm very engaging I get people up and moving we do a lot of um, activities I make it a lot of fun I crack jokes I'm very vulnerable and open so people tend to be very engaged and entertained it's not your typical boring professional development that we've all had to sit through at one time or another um it's very it's very different and that's kind of that's me and what i bring to the table so it kind of has that
0: theater vibe so there's not there's not the you know the dry powerpoint slides with lots of text (laughs) well i do have powerpoint
1: slides that are very fun (laughs) <laughs> but definitely not boring with uh with you know, no, absolutely not. But no, I don't have, you know, like the stool and the the uh the bowler hat and the <laughs> maybe someday we'll actually you do should. a, a I would, I would show. I'm not that. opposed to it at all. But that's um, you know, and then kind of it's just a little more playful too in how my um, sessions are named they're kind of named for different theater things and like we talk about you know work-life balance it's called don't be upstaged or we look at um lights camera you the power of a growth mindset so we kind of i play into all of that kind of theater language um in a really i think really fun engaging way for folks and it's gotten pretty good feedback so i think i think it resonates with folks too
0: yeah, I just, you know, I'm thinking of professional development where it's like everybody wants to, you know, be back in their classrooms, getting all their paperwork done, or, you know, again, it, you don't think of cabaret and professional development going together, but.
1: I know, for sure. Well, no, and I've definitely had people, like, I did a, a session, uh, an in-person three-hour workshop back a few months ago. Um at a, at a community here in Massachusetts and so, like it was really funny it was a huge group of people probably over a hundred teachers and like they definitely came in with like the vibe of like ugh, another professional development I have, to listen, <laughs> I have to listen to this woman talk about self-care for three hours like I could hear like the murmurings and I'm just like all right get ready <laughs> and by the end like and people even were told they could leave because like people some people were paraprofessionals or whatever, they had different schedules, had to go to other things. Nobody left. They were <laughs> told they could leave. Nobody and I gave them breaks. I gave them opportunities. I told them I wouldn't be offended if they had to go. Everybody stayed. And at the end they were like, that was so much fun. I'm so glad I stayed. I was dreading this. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so funny because I know that even like I remember one of my administrators is like, I hate when they make you participate. I just want to sit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For sure, for sure. I don't make anybody do anything too crazy.
0: They're but. not like up on the stage dancing, unless they want to.
1: <laughs> not yet. We might do that at some point. No. <laughs> um, no, but we will do like stretching, like maybe some stretching things, some gentle movements and breathing exercises. Um, I may teach some like theater games, kind of mindfulness stuff, getting you into your body, that kind of stuff. But no, nothing. Nothing. I don't make everybody like get up and do the Macarena. I <laughs> might do the Macarena. But <laughs>
0: Well, I bet that if you have a background in the performing arts, you probably have learned how to work the crowd and feel people out, right? Where you can tell if people are into it or if people are like, get away from me, do not make me come up there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can definitely feel the energy in the room if they're vibing with you or not. (laughs) You can even feel it on Zoom sometimes. I do a lot of virtual presentations and sometimes i'm just like ooh what is with this group it's just not <laughs> it is so not you, in- can,
0: you can tell on zoom too i mean i'm sure that you get more when you're in person but you can yeah, kind absolutely. of feel people out even if it's virtual i yeah i think so yeah that's interesting because i know that sometimes you know as we've gone to a lot more zoom presentations it's great that you know you can do things without having to fly out places but but there is that in-person element. That just the energy is a little bit different. Absolutely.
1: And it was really funny too. And going back to, you know, how this kind of all came to be, I was, start when I started to do some self-care presentations, you know, I was really enjoying it, but it quite hadn't quite hit me at how much giving a presentation is like a performance until yeah, I had true. done, I had done a, a workshop at a big conference at Salem State University and I called my mom afterwards and I was like, I actually got like emotional. And I was like, this was a really roundabout way to like keep performing as a part of my life. Like this yeah. is, and then what kind of emerged also as I was working my way through the doctorate. Dr. Melito Connors is fun, but Dr. MC well, that's it, very yeah. cabaret. Like that just works, and I didn't plan that. I mean, I didn't have this planned when I met somebody that had the, a C for a last name. So I, <laughs> it wasn't a very a long con to have Doctor MC as a as a name. But I'm like, well, that works really well.
0: <laughs> it totally does. It's so it just has a nice ring to it, too. Yeah, that's I. So this reminds me of there's this. It's a TEDx talk. And this isn't, you know, a clinical term, but she uses the term multipotentialite, where mm. she's talking about how you don't have to just be one thing and you can be, I think the example she gives, like you can be a psychologist and a violin player. And like just the idea of having, you know, multiple passions and you can have more than one thing. And so, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit
1: Absolutely. Well, and you know, enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride, like life's short. So let it take you where it can and things have kind of evolved and all of my experiences and my training helped me, um, you know, today and support me today and have led me to where I am now and I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I love it. It's really fun and unique. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> do you have any, before we wrap up, any parting words or tips for people to help make self-care a consistent part of their routine in a non-negotiable?
1: Yes, I do. I think it's important for people to remember if they take anything away from this conversation is that it can be small, it can be free, it can be quick. But these things will help you immensely and it's really important to put your needs first. I know it might feel awkward, it might feel a little selfish or a little different, but that's because society makes us feel these things. But self-care is other care. Your needs come first, it'll actually make you better able to meet the needs of others as a result.
0: Great. I love it. So, where can people go to learn more about you, connect with you, hear about your podcast? Awesome. Yeah. I love that. So,
1: I have a website, drmcselfcare.com. That's drmcselfcare.com. And my social media handles. I'm on all the platforms, maybe even TikTok soon. I don't know. But right now, very active on Instagram and Facebook at drmcselfcare. I'm also on LinkedIn. And when you go to my website, you also have links to the podcast, which has the same business name, the Dr. M.C.'s Self Care Cabaret. It's on all major platforms if folks want to check that out. And there's also a way to, to kind of look at the presentations that I offer and reach out if you'd like to book a gig with me or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from people and connect with folks on social media or via email or whatever way
0: suits them. Great. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Dr. Karen. This was fun. Before I wrap up, I wanted to remind you to check the show notes for all of the links where you can connect with Dr. MC, listen to her podcast, as well as learn more about the self-care cabaret. Also, if you want to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership so that you can learn how to put the systems that you need in place. So that you can support your caseload and also work your self-care into your day-to-day routine at the same time. You're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership to learn more about how you can become a member. Remember, it helps me out so much if you rate, review, and follow my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, If you have a suggestion for a guest on the show, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. I'm always looking for amazing guests who are using their clinical skills to make a difference, who are showing leadership in supporting K-12 kids, and who are agents of change in their community, their facility, and in their field. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need, when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My flex Learning which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.